Did you read last week about the woman visiting Niagara Falls? who climbed up on this fence on the edge of the falls, this very fence with the sign that says danger. And she was showing off to her friends, and you know what happened? She lost her balance, toppled over the edge, and plunged to her death. And as they were fishing her out of the water below, they found another body, in the same place. You know, if you're sailing along the river that heads to Niagara Falls, there's a a wire that goes across, and there's a sign that hangs, and it says, Point of No Return. And according to the Bible, there are people who mock that sign, who disregard the danger sign at the top of Niagara Falls. And as much as we love to preach about the grace of God, that no matter how far we fall and God's grace is yet deeper, there is a certain particular quality of a certain type of heart that ignores the sign, that turns its back, and that plunges to death. Now, I'm preaching through the book of 1 John, and we are almost at the end. Next week is the grand finale, and here we are right at the end. But if you look on the back of your sermon outline, you see these texts. And I've decided to take all of the ones we preachers prefer to ignore, And just throw them all at you today. (laughs) Listen carefully. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. Now, this is very interesting. In the Greek text, it does not say God. It just says he should pray and, and he will give him life. The editors said and God will give him life, but it's not clear from the text who will give him life. It just says he will pray and he will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is, and by the way, the editors put in what's called the definite article A. There is, it says there is a sin that leads to death, but, but in the Greek language it just says there is sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. <laughs> you don't pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, the context... Let's go back to 1 John 1.19, that you 2.19 that you see there. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Listen to this frightening passage of the Bible. Listen carefully. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Gets worse. 
Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then words from our Lord Jesus himself in Mark chapter 3, 29 and 30. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He was saying this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Okay, so ends the reading of God's word. Thank you, God, for your word. So ends it, the reading for today. Do you see the sign? Danger, danger. Is warning us not to climb up on the fence, not to ignore the point of no return. Because it is possible to cross that line and not come back. And I just want us to be aware and think about our own relationship with God today. Now, there is a really nice part in that first passage that I really love. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should call up ten other people and tell them, I saw Jimmy committing that sin. Is that what he says you're supposed to do? Gossip about it. What do Christians usually do when they see somebody in the church sinning? Why? Yep, 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 yep. Now, I have to tell you, in the eight years I have been here, I am so blessed by the unity and the peace that we have in this church family. And before any of you join our church, before you have joined it, we, we go over the membership questions in our own time and we commit to preserving the purity and the peace of the church. And that means we will not gossip. We will be careful how we control our tongues. What does he say here? If you see your brother sin... He should pray. What a novel idea. The only talking that you're supposed to do, at least according to this passage, when you see your brother sin, the only talking you're supposed to do is on your knees. And then John says something really wonderful. He says, if you pray for your brother who's struggling, who's falling, whose life is on the rocks, it says he will give him life. And I think this is interesting because obviously God is behind all things. It says God, the translation here says, and God will give him life. But the word God isn't there. It actually says, and he will give him life. And so it very well may mean that whoever prays for their friend will be the vehicle, will be the agent of new life coming to that friend. Isn't that beautiful? See, James chapter 5, verse 20 says, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death. Isn't that interesting? he's, He's saying, this is how close you are in the whole work of salvation. When you pray for your brother or your sister who's fallen, you become, and I think that's what he's just saying, You become the one God uses to turn them back. So let's make sure that when we see someone who's sitting near you struggling with sin, that when we talk about it, we talk on our knees to God. 
Yes, I know Matthew 18 tells us how we go and we talk to that person and there is the appropriate way to move forward in that conversation. But first, first, commit to being that agent. Listen, when was the last time God heard your name from somebody else besides you? Wouldn't that be wonderful if you knew that God was hearing you your name from other people in this particular expression of the church family. So in your small groups, pray for each other. Pray, confess your struggles and pray for each other. And I pray for you. I have seasons, ways that this church isn't large enough so that it's too difficult. I can pray for all of you, and I do. But then he says something very interesting. He says there is someone you don't have to pray for. Did you see that? You're not forbidden from praying for them. I guess you may. But he says, I'm not saying you should pray for them. Who is that? That is the person who sins the sin that leads to death. Sin that leads to death. And again, it's not a sin. I don't know why they put the word a in there. It just says whoever commits sin that leads to death. And again, this is where I part from my Roman Catholic friends who say, well, there's mortal sins and there's venial sins, and you can find a certain list of mortal sins and a certain list of venial sins, and certain ones are deadly, you know, the seven deadly sins. They're the ones that lead to it. No, oh, my friends. He's talking here about a category of expression of sin that leads to death. Somebody says, oh, but doesn't all, the wages of all sin is death. Yes, but... But there is also life and there is forgiveness. But here, here he seems to be pointing out that there is a kind of sin that leads to death, that ignores the danger sign, that goes over the Niagara Falls, that the writer of Hebrews was writing about, that Jesus was speaking about. Okay? And apparently, you can actually see it in other people. And you're able to discern at certain times. That sounds pretty dangerous to me. But when you see somebody, what does that look like? What will you see? Point number three, what will you see? What does it look like? And we cannot trivialize this. We cannot trivialize when we see someone headed down the river toward Niagara Falls, we cannot trivialize this. I think I've known people who have sinned the sin that leads to death. I think I've known people who have been elders in the church So elders here, you pay attention. It's not just elders that need to pay attention, but even elders need to pay attention. Who have risen up, had some acknowledgement of spirituality, but have then turned and renounced their faith in Jesus Christ. Have then turned away, and with almost a vow, they have renounced Christ And turned their back on him. And they have become resolute in opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've known people like this. And they mock. 
Jesus Christ. And they mock the church. And when they watch Bill Maher on HBO make fun of Christians, they cheer. And when they read Richard Dawkins' diatribe against Christianity, they applaud. Have you committed that sin? Now, I know, <laughs> I know that throughout the, the centuries of the Christian church, there have been sensitive people, people with sensitive hearts that have wondered, have I, have I done this? I've wondered if I've done it. When you get tangled in a web of sin, entangled, what Hebrews says, it says you get tangled up in a web of sin. And you wonder, have I been so resolute? Have I fallen so far? Have I turned away from Jesus? In the autobiography of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, anybody remember that book, Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan, he, he wrote his own autobiography about it was called Grace Abounding the Chief of Sinners. And he describes a time in the Christian life when he thought he had committed the sin that leads to death. And, and Bunyan um, describes this agony of soul, how for weeks on end he searched the Scriptures trying to discover whether or not his case was hopeless. And he compared himself with Peter, Peter who denied Christ. And he says, I'm afraid I have denied Christ. And he compared himself with Judas, who betrayed Christ. And he says, I'm afraid that I have betrayed Christ. And he concluded that maybe his destiny is the same as Judas's. And with tears, he would weep through the night. Finally, he went to an older Christian in the church, and he said to them, this is, I feel like there's been some blasphemy in my heart against the Lord, and I feel like I've succumbed to temptation to deny the Lord, and I just want to know. What do you think? And this foolish old man said to him, I think you committed the sin that leads to death. And Bunyan was a wreck. I want to tell you clearly today, if you don't hear anything else, before the screensaver goes up, if you are worried about committing the sin that leads to death, if you're worried about committing the unforgivable sin, let me just tell you something. You haven't committed it, okay? We'll get to why in a moment. But the person who is concerned about their own salvation and who is actually concerned about offending the glory of God is not someone who has committed this sin, okay? That doesn't mean you can turn me off. I'm just telling you. Uh, be encouraged. You're not like John Bunyan. John Bunyan eventually had, had light shine to him. There was a, a, an old lady in Scotland whose, pastor was, whose pastor's name was Donald Cargill. And she was sure she had committed this sin. She had been for many years a devout Christian. But on certain times, certain time she was in such despair. She even tried to commit suicide because she thought she was damned. And she struggled. And, and the pastor tried to explain to her she wasn't damned because she cared about the Lord and, and believed in the cross. But and finally, finally, he threw up his hands. He didn't know what to do until one morning he went with a, with a legal document. And he brought her a pen and the legal document said, I hereby renounce any interest in Jesus Christ or his gospel. 
from here on and all eternity. And he gave her the pen. And he said, sign it or shut up. And she burst into laughter and she said, today salvation has come to this house. And she didn't sign it. She tore it up and she believed. And she was set free. Okay? If you're worried about having committed it, you haven't committed it. But that being said, that being said, what is this sin that leads to death? A lot of different opinions on this. Uh, on this. Some scholars think it's talking about physical death. You know, you go out and you commit a murder, that's a capital crime. And it's only very recently that we've had things like appellate courts, right? It's only very recently that you've had people protesting outside of penitentiaries that have the electric chair. I mean, you commit a murder in any society and you get the death penalty. And they, you know, maybe they said if if somebody's committed a capital crime, and you know they're going to be executed. Don't pray that they won't be executed because they're going to be executed. Some people think that's just what John is saying here. I think not. I think that's not what the context is saying. Some people believe that the unpardonable sin is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And uh, we read about, we read about that. Um, and that is essentially revealed as calling Jesus a demon, and so it, it fits in with a kind of despising of Jesus Christ, a contempt for him that the Pharisees had. And though Jesus displayed grace to them, these Pharisees had such a hostility and contempt for Jesus Christ. Though the Holy Spirit was now revealing him as the Messiah, they would not have him. And Jesus calls that the, the sin that cannot be forgiven. And maybe that's the sin that leads to death. A cousin to that one is given to us in Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. And, and um, the, the thought goes like this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. And since the reasoning goes, stay with me here, since all sin leads to death, um, it is that unrepented of sin that sin that is more important to you than the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ, that that is the sin that leads to death because it remains unconfessed and unforgiven. Um, I think that is not what he's talking about here. I believe that we should all repent of all our sins and we should turn from them, turn, but I think it's not that category. What I think that the context is showing us is that this is the sin of apostasy. This is the sin of apostasy. And it is the sin of denying that Jesus is the Christ because how many times in our study of 1 John has John been fighting for the soul of the church where certain preachers and teachers have stood up and said, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Jesus is not the Messiah. He didn't die on the cross for your sins because no self-respecting Messiah would die on the cross. And so we don't need this blood atonement, this barbaric blood atonement. You see, that was happening. And John is fighting for the soul of the church for those who have denied and renounced Jesus Christ. Who had once been inside. They sang the songs. They sat here in the church. They sang the songs. But then they renounce Jesus Christ. 
It's called the sin of apostasy. Those who, Hebrews 6, 6 says, who fall away. And notice that it's sin committed by a professing Christian. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether you can lose your salvation. Those of you who know me, you know I don't believe that a person who has been born again can lose their salvation. So, so, so there's a lot of debate, intramural debate in the Christian world about uh, whether the person was a professing Christian, that is, who spoke a... They professed, I do trust in Jesus, but then eventually they were just kidding themselves and they were kidding the rest of the church and they fell away. And the reason that we see that is because 1 John 2.19 says, those who went out from us were never of us. So it's, it's saying, you know what, they never were of us in the first place. Okay? That's why I think that's what's going on. Some well-meaning Christians say, oh no, it says in Hebrews they've been enlightened, you know, they, they tasted. And, and I think it's just referring to the fact that, that the glory was around them in the church. They had even the greater position. In Hebrews 6, it says, but ultimately they were not born again and they renounced Jesus and turned away. So, what is it? I have it in your bulletin in the sermon outline. The sin itself is everywhere identified as the willful, knowledgeable, intentional rejection of the faith by someone who has claimed to believe it. There is a professor at the University of North Carolina. I see him on CNN. I see him on the History Channel. His name is Bart Ehrman. Professor Ehrman grew up in a Christian family. He, was, uh, he went to Wheaton College where he won the prize, this, the, you know, this great Christian college. And then he did his Ph.D. in New Testament studies, and along the way, he, he felt the scorn of his professors toward Christianity. And along the way, something happened, and he decided, you know, these New Testament documents aren't reliable. And along the way, he discovered that I don't believe this anymore, this blood atonement stuff anymore. And I, and I think it's too narrow. And I think these Christians who think they have God in their pocket are arrogant, and I stand against them. And so whenever CNN or whenever uh, the History Channel needs a spokesperson with a PhD after their name to be critical of Bible-believing Christians, who do they go to? Well, one of the people they go to is this Bart Ehrman or Professor James Barr, over in England, who also grew up in inner varsity fellowship, but then fell away. And I think John is telling us that these are the kind of people that look like they have sinned, a sin unto death. Now, would God be mad at you for praying for them? No, I mean, I still pray for them. I still pray for them. But John doesn't have a whole lot of time for them. He would rather you be praying for your brothers and sisters. You, could go, you, can, you can still pray for them. After all, when Peter said it is impossible for a rich man, it's impossible for a rich man to be saved. Who, or Jesus said it's impossible for a rich man to be saved. And Peter said, who can be saved? And uh, Jesus said, well, with uh, man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. That's the reason why I keep praying. I, I'll never stop praying for anyone. 
But this is very serious. So my view is that this is apostasy, the rejecting, the, intention, the willful, knowledgeable, intentional rejection of the faith by someone who has claimed to believe it. So what should we do? What should we do if we see a brother or sister who knows better, who's going away from the Lord and away from the life of his people? What should you do if you feel yourself slipping in that direction? You know, I read a survey that 60% of all evangelical Christians feel that they have no obligation at all to share their faith with anybody else. They say, my faith is a merely private matter. 60% of all Christians say, my faith is a private matter. I wouldn't dream of talking about spiritual things with another person. Why, that would be intolerant. Why, that would be socially unacceptable. Someone might raise their eyebrow at me. But John says that you should pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. And if they're, if they're walking, if they're headed over the danger sign, to go out, lay hold of them. Lay hold of them. Say, hey, friend, can I pray for you? I might be wrong. I might not be seeing this right, and I'm, I hope I am wrong, but here's, here's what I see. I've been praying for you. And I can confess to you that I don't think I'm better than anyone else. I am completely capable of falling. But it looks to me like you're on, the, on that fence over Niagara Falls. And I want you to get off the fence. Come on back. What should you do if you feel yourself slipping in that direction, making choices that defy the, the enlightenment that you already have, that you already know about, what should you do? You should warn yourself that sin is dangerous and you should be afraid of sin. That woman from Japan who sat on that fence, here's what her friends described before they watched her plunge to her death in horror. They said she jumped up on the fence with a big smile and she waved her hands. What if that's you? What if that's you? Grab hold of the fence, swing your leg back over, and slowly walk away. Come on back. Come on back. We're praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I want you to know if there's anybody here today that wrestles like John Bunyan did, if you're here today and you wrestle like John Bunyan did, we don't want you to leave without having someone pray for you, maybe one of the elders, to pray with you up front here after we're done. Just come on up and say, you know what? I'm really a mess. I'm really struggling. I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm straddling that fence. And when my friends are around me and, and my parents aren't looking, when my wife isn't looking, when my husband isn't with me, I'm sitting up on the fence waving my hands, smiling and laughing. We want to pray for you. We don't want to condemn you. We don't want to gossip about you. But we want to pray for you. Jesus bore your sin. Jesus 
takes away your shame. I want to close with the story of William Cooper. William Cooper, his last name is spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's not pronounced Cowper, it's pronounced Cooper. William Cooper um, struggled in the Christian life. He wrestled, oh, so much. He went through periods of depression. And then he was nominated to become clerk of the House of Lords. But in order to become clerk of the House of Lords, there had needed to be an investigation into his uh, past. And his past was so dark that he he was so ashamed of himself. All his sins, all that he had done. You know, he got so depressed, he tried to commit suicide. So you know what he did one day? He took a great big knife from the kitchen drawer and he stabbed himself in the chest with it and the knife broke. So he took a rope and he flung it over the rafter and he made a noose and he climbed up on the table and he put it around his neck and he jumped off the table. He was in such despair and the rope broke. got some poison. He got some poison. And he poured it into his mouth to kill himself. And it tasted so terrible. He spit it out. (laughs) He was exhausted. And he fell asleep there in the kitchen, exhausted and despairing. At three o'clock in the morning, He woke up. And these words were flying through his head. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And he knew that the blood of Jesus Christ had cleansed him from all unrighteousness. And he went to the house of lords, and he confessed all his sins, and he told them all of the blood of Jesus Christ drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And many of the house of lords were converted that day, were actually drawn to Jesus Christ again that day. Revival broke out among the wealthy and powerful in England. He bore your sins. He bore your shame. And so though you and I have fallen far, we will rise. The Bible says we will rise. We will rise. He will call your name. And there will be no more sorrow, no more shame. He will take you home. Do you believe that today? If you're struggling, we want to pray for you. Don't struggle alone. Don't struggle alone. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Bow your head with me. Our Father, it is comforting. It's so comforting to know right now. uh, John says, and the writer of Hebrews says, but we believe better things of you. We believe better things of you. You Christians, you people in the church. And so, Lord... um, I pray for every one of us that we would turn quickly. We would not climb up on this fence. We wouldn't climb up on the uh, 
danger sign. We'd get off it if we were on it. I pray for our guests here today, Lord. This sort of message uh, might not have been the warm message they hope to receive here, but I pray for them that they too will hear your warning. We pray for those who will not, who stubbornly refuse in their arrogance. Lord, uh, the Bible says we don't have to pray for them, but we do pray for them. Maybe it's a brother or a sister or it's a child or a parent or a colleague at work. And we can't bear the thought of not praying for them. And we pray that you would enlighten their hearts. You would convict them of their sin. But you would show them the greater Savior, the salvation that is, there, that is ours in Jesus Christ. We're, we're believing you right now, Lord, that we are not of those who've committed this sin that leads to death. We, yes, we sin, but we repent, we return, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And thank you for that great day that is coming when we will rise with Jesus for all eternity and we will live with him forever, giving him great glory and honor and thanks. For we pray in his name. Amen.